So we're in John 4, making sure that you guys are all there. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you'll never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to what time that his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Thank you, Makia. If you remain standing, I want to take just a moment to have us pray with this text in mind for a family that's a part of our church, uh, Jen and Evan Emerson. And if you have been with us for a little bit, you know that their um, oldest daughter, who's uh, over two now, uh, Lena, was diagnosed with a condition. Um, and, uh, and she has gone through some tremendous medical um, difficulties. We were at their house for dinner last night, but they're now seeing that their, their baby, uh, Malachi, who's nine months old, is having some of the same um, conditions that Lena uh, showed early on and uh, led to all the trouble they've had. So they were at the hospital last night with uh, Malachi now. And uh, so just really heavy hearted for them. And, uh, and we're going to be talking about um, the healing that God wants to bring. And so I think it's appropriate that we pray together. If you want to just join hands as we pray for the Emerson family and as we get into God's word. Father, first of all, we, with compassion in our hearts and heaviness in our hearts, want to pray for mercy for Jen and Evan and the heaviness which they feel right now. We pray for Lena and Malachi for this Lee's disease that is giving their body great difficulty and can be fatal. We want to pray for your hand of intervention, Lord, as we have prayed together as a church in homes and at song and prayer and in small gatherings. Many, many times we have asked. But Father, again, we come before you with this text in our minds that you healed the nobleman's son. We're asking you for the healing of a son and a daughter. For little Lena, that God, you would lay your hands upon her and reverse all the neurological and physiological damage that's been done through Lee's disease. We, we know that you are God over all things, and so we're trusting Lena to you and wanting for mercy to come for her life and for Malachi as well. Bring healing, Father, and bring mercy to the Emerson household. And for all of us here this morning that have experienced this quandary of healing and how you heal and why sometimes you don't heal and, and how to make sense of the goodness of God when things don't always seem to be going so well. We pray for your hand of intervention right now on Jen and Evan 
at their home on Culpeper, God, we pray right now that that dark cloud of hopelessness that is residing over that home, that that cloud would be pushed away, that somehow in the midst of the sorrow there would be hope, in the midst of the sadness there could be joy, God. Jesus rooted joy. Jesus enter and they're not able to be at church. Bring church to them, Father. Bring spirit to them, Father, in a way they can feel in their living room while they sit watching Lena hooked up to all those machines. Oh God, we pray for your mercy. Oh God, we pray for your presence and renewed hope. And that God, even as we sat with them last night, God, we pray for good cheer to come into their lives again. That they might be once again the sons and daughters that you have made them to be. The, the two of them have been used powerfully in our church to pray for others, and now they stand in the need of prayer. And so we stand in the gap for them, Lord. We ask for your help and assistance and your healing hand to come. We, don't, we know you don't need eloquent prayers to heal. You can simply say, be whole, and they could be whole. God, it doesn't take you much to do great things. And so we expect you to do something great for the Emerson household. And for all of us here, who um, this particular issue is hard for us as we consider what it is to be healed by Jesus. We ask for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, that we would be brave and that we would be wise, that we would be filled with risk-taking faith and that we would also be honoring and reverent to your word, that we wouldn't go beyond Scripture, but we would realize that sometimes in the Holy Spirit there are things that call us to faith, which means risk. And I pray today that all here who have people in their lives who need bodily and emotional and spiritual healing. For all of us that are in this room in need of bodily, emotional, and spiritual healing, that, Holy Spirit, you would be present in such a way that the healing presence of Jesus would be here, that the Spirit of God would be present to heal, that this wouldn't just be an old story from 2,000 years ago when the God-man walked the earth, but this would be a story of a kingdom that's breaking into the here and the now to bring wholeness and healing to bodies and minds and spirits that have gone off kilter for some reason. When our bodies are not in shalom, when our minds are not in shalom, when we are not aligned with the way that you have wired us to live in wholeness, Father, we pray for your grace. We pray for your wisdom. And I pray specifically for myself today that I would not speak beyond you, but that the words that are from my mouth would be from your word and from your heart and from your spirit, that we would all ally ourselves to what you're saying and have said regarding this area of miracles and healing and wholeness in our lives. So we pray, God, for your presence. We pray that this wouldn't be a theory, but that today we'd experience the, the presence of the Lord to heal in this place, for all who are sick and not well, in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen, 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 amen. You can have a seat. We're in John chapter 4, as McKee read for us. I'd like to begin by taking an unofficial survey of the group, just so I know who I'm working with this morning. Um, how many of you that are here this morning came to church, God bless you, you made it, um, would say that Besides minor aches and pains, you would consider yourself relatively healthy right now. Wow, look around. we got some healthy people uh, drinking, drinking uh, your juice and eating your vitamins and stuff. Good for you. Um, how many in the room here uh, would say that a time in your life you have experienced significant and noted bodily healing? You have actually experienced physical healing from the Lord. Okay, so a, a good chunk of us have seen God touch our physical bodies. Um, now, 
this is the tougher one. How many of you are here and you have sought God for healing in a particular area and you are still waiting for God to touch you there? Okay, that's real. Um, I think within the church, when we talk about the subject of healing, signs and wonders, we tend to fall into two camps, extremes. The pendulum swings wide. The first extreme, the more conservative extreme, would basically uh, approach healing signs and wonders is, is to maybe even say, I don't know if God works that way today. And all of your prayers, if you ever pray for healing signs and wonders, they're always hedged by a repeated, God, if it be your will, God, if it be your will, God, if it be your will, and, and sort of timid around these things because we're not sure, should we be praying like this and believing like this today? The pendulum then swings to the other side, which would be the camp of people that would hold a theology that says, no, nobody should be unhealthy. No one who loves Jesus and follows Jesus should be living uh, without complete body wholeness and, 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 and wholeness in all of, they are, all, all of their, their body, their mind, and their soul. Um, so if they're not whole, then there must be something wrong with their faith. There may be some sin going on in their life. It may be a generational curse or a demon, but we, we, we can't tolerate that. And so this, the kingdom comes now in fullness. And most of us probably aren't living in either total extreme. Like our pendulum probably isn't to one side or the other. We may be closer to one side than the other, but we live sort of in a tension between the two realities of the already and not yet kingdom of God. You, do you know that when the kingdom is fully realized, there will be no sickness? There will be no tears? There will be no pain? There will be no more death and dying? There will, we're, we're will no, no more be the things that make us sorrow in this life? God will wipe away every tear. So that is coming. But in the tension between, in the time between times, we still do believe that God wants to move at significant times with signs, wonders, and healings as he did in days of old through Jesus the Christ, as he did through the church. You know, fully, um, if you were to count percentage-wise how many times it's recorded in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus actually did healing ministry, that it's recorded that Jesus came to heal, do signs and wonders and miracles, 38% of the Gospel tells the story of a miracle-working, signs and wonders moving God from heaven, Jesus the Christ. And that follows into the book of Acts. There's much that happens in God's church even after he's taken. And this subject we're faced with this morning as a community because, first of all, we're in the Gospel of John. And as we go through books of the Bible, sometimes we find in our journey through books of the Bible that the place we are in Scripture is a place that we also are as a church family, as a community. And uh, just with this issue of bodily healing and um, the questions that come up into my mind when I'm at Jen and Evan's house last night with my wife eating Mediterranean food and watching their daughter and their son and wondering where is God in all of this and listening to their hearts cry and, and explain how in so many ways they don't feel like the Christians that they used to be. They don't feel the hope that they once had. And, and watching your friends go through something like that makes you take a step back and breathe in and breathe out and just... As we were just praying for them last night, I just kept, the only word that could come to mind is I was just like, God, mercy, mercy, Lord. Show mercy here. And then to know that after we left last night, they had to take Malachi in because he was uh, not able to hold down his food. Um, 
And, and again, we're faced with this as a community because there were some even here this morning that have raised your hands this morning. You're here this morning and you said, you know, I've been praying for a while for some things in my life and uh, whether it's mental, spiritual, or physical and I haven't seen God break through, we have to face off with these kinds of things. Uh, and so to our text, and then we'll get into this very, uh, very difficult, sometimes difficult subject, but also I, I'm, I'm praying for a hope-filled morning. Amen? You stand with me for a hope-filled morning to believe that when you walk out of here, you won't walk out of here discouraged but encouraged, not with lack of hope but more hope than you walked in here with for Jen and Evan, for your friends and family, and for yourself to believe that God is still working in miraculous, beautiful, powerful ways today. Amen? Amen? Okay, so uh, John chapter 4, Jesus, having just been in Samaria, comes back home to his hometown, the place where he was born and raised, the streets where he was from there in the Galilee. And when he arrives in Galilee, the Galileans are excited to receive Jesus, our text tells us, John writes, because they had been tracking him with all of the miracles that he had been doing. And uh, Jesus comments about the Galileans and uh, the place that he found himself traveling back home, saying that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. In other words, they're not really excited about me, they're excited about my divine magic show. And Jesus is going to rebuke these Galileans for being so caught up in signs and wonders and healing miracles. Because they don't want Jesus for who he is, they want Jesus for what he can do. Come magician, do your magic, and let us see and wonder. And so Jesus is going to deal with that. He had just been in Samaria for a couple of days, and they believed him because of his word. And now the Galileans are anticipating his arrival in Galilee because they want to see him do the stuff. They want to see the show. They want to see the signs and wonders. And Jesus will rebuke them. But into the story, interrupting the story of Jesus coming back home, comes this nobleman. And this nobleman was a guy who was part of the royal company. Literally, he was, he was, he was someone of royalty. He probably worked for King Herod, he was in the palace. He was a palace official. He was the equivalent of uh, Donald Trump's uh, cabinet, right? Uh, hard to keep track of these days because they're always firing, getting fired and resigning. But nevertheless, our, our president does have a cabinet. So if you would, this is like a cabinet member. He shows up. This is an important official who's just traveled 20 miles from Capernaum because his son is sick and dying. 20 miles, important guy, and the Bible says that when he saw Jesus, he was only in Galilee for one reason, because Jesus was there. And he had heard of what Jesus could do. And he knew the desperate situation he was in, and so the Bible says here that he begged Jesus. Begged. A grown man, royal official, very wealthy, very important, very proud travels 20 miles and falls down like a child, weeping and begging Jesus, Jesus, please, please, please do something for my son. I can't do anything if you don't help me. He's dead. You understand? He's going to die. When was the last time you begged Jesus in prayer for anything? You ever been at a place of desperation? You know, begging prayers are very different than churchy prayers. Begging prayers are raw and authentic and real and gut upheaval. And sometimes you can't even articulate words. It's groanings. And the things in the spirit that cannot be uttered. You just, oh God, help me. I beg you. I, I mean, I can't think of the last time I was in a place of begging. 
Most of us are too dignified to think of ourselves in begging, but sometimes life will back you into the kind of corner that says, all I can do is beg God for help because I'm desperate. I can't do anything. I've tried everything. This guy couldn't throw more money at it, couldn't throw more doctors at it. If Jesus doesn't intervene, the boy dies. And that's the kind of situation that we find ourselves in in the travels of Jesus. The life and ministry of Jesus sometimes rose in great intensity. But Jesus always surprises me in the way that he handles these things because if, if I'm working at, at our church and someone comes begging me for the life of their child and saying, if God doesn't help me, Brian, the boy's dead, bring the elders, bring the oil, come, I would be turning on the sirens and racing. But Jesus doesn't respond that way because Jesus is never panicked by the things that panic you. You know, one of the things that God never does is worry. You think about that, how much time you spend worrying and how much time God has never worried, ever worried, never, ever, ever worried. That's why worry is so ungodly. That's why worry is such a waste. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Consider the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. Your father takes care of them. They don't do anything. You're more valuable than they are. Take it one day at a time. Don't, don't take anxious thought for tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Jesus is cool, calm, and collected in the middle of your storms. The things that you would freak out about, even the life of your child, Jesus doesn't, doesn't get caught into your anxiety and worry. Though he cares deeply. It's interesting what he does, though, because what he does seems almost sort of unkind and cruel. Again, look down at our text. He says... Uh, in verse 48, so here's his father begging, you know, I, I just imagine him pulling on Jesus' robe, please, please heal my son, he's dying. Verse 48, Jesus, in the middle of this, rebukes everybody, he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. I mean, this just doesn't seem like the appropriate time for a rebuke. This is more for, this is more for the, uh, the, the spectators than it is for this desperate father, though. Because you notice this doesn't stop the desperate father. You know, desperate people don't get their feelings hurt. They're not petty. When you're desperate, you're like, wow, I'll push everything over and shove people aside. And my son needs to live. I'm not getting my feelings hurt today. I got one objective, get Jesus to touch my boy. But while that's happening, Jesus knows what he's about to do. He looks at the crowd and says, you people, you people won't believe unless you see signs and wonders. I just came from Samaria and I, I spoke and they believed in me. I spent two nights in Samaria and my own people won't even believe in me unless they see signs and wonders. The truth about signs and wonders is that signs and wonders cannot produce a lasting, genuine faith. If you base your following of Jesus on signs and wonders, you are building on a shaky foundation at best. Well, let's just take one particular case in point. Besides Israel and Jesus' day, let's take Israel under Moses as they were wandering through the wilderness. They saw so many signs and wonders. But one of the most fantastic signs and wonders or demonstrations of the miraculous power of God was in Exodus 19 when God speaks from Mount Sinai. There's thunder and lightning and an earthquake and fire and they actually hear the voice of God speak. I mean, most of us would say, if I was there and I heard God speak from Sinai like that, 
smoke billowing out and fire and thunder and lightning, the weather changes, and I hear God speaking, I never need to see anything else in my life. But for Israel, you know, just several chapters later in chapter 32, uh, Moses is away seeking God on Mount Sinai, and what do they do? They fashion a golden calf, get naked, and start dancing around. As if this calf they made with their own hands is their God. They had seen his wonders. They had seen him part the Red Sea, speak from Mount Sinai, do all these things. And yet they worshipped a golden calf while Moses was up receiving the Ten Commandments. And, And on and on we could go with examples of how signs and wonders, though are part of the story of the way in which Jesus reaches us, cannot produce a lasting faith. We know Paul would later write, Uh, about Satan's power, that there actually is a beautiful side of evil. That not every time you see a sign and a wonder and a healing does it come from God himself. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. um, uh, Carlos, you just went through this, so he's he's well-versed. If you have any further questions, see Carlos. uh, Or come to Monday nights and uh, stump the chump and ask him all kinds of questions about these things. But uh, you're not a chump, but, you know, it rhymes, stump and chump. Um, (laughs) I apologize. Monday nights at 7 o'clock, Carlos's house, you're in the book of Exodus right now, so uh, it's going to be, what chapter this week? Say what? Crossing the Red Sea. Sea. So yeah, show up for that, Uh, that'll be great. So 2 Thessalonians 2.9 though, uh, we're told about the power of Satan, that he does all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Now the point is this. We do believe in the God who can do the impossible. We believe in a God of miracles, but we do not base our faith and trust in God on signs and wonders. And you see in this story a great contrast. Samaritan faith, Jesus came to them, showed them who he was, they fell in love with who he was. Next part, he comes to Galilee. They want to see signs and wonders. And so Jesus does the kind of miracle that the kind of people that he was talking to needed. And and so to the nobleman, Jesus just simply says this. He comes again to beg this desperate father, verse 49, Sir, come before my child dies, the boy's on the verge of death. And in line with the lesson he's trying to teach all these signs and wonder seekers, Jesus does a very non-dramatic miracle. He does not do something that's, that's very demonstrative. They were, they were like, do a show, do magic. And it's not that Jesus doesn't sometimes do something very demonstrative. He never actually heals people the same way. And so any faith healers that keep doing the same thing some, on some tired TV show that's been produced, uh, nah. The way Jesus healed, you never knew how he was going to heal. Sometimes it was very demonstrative. Sometimes he packs a mud pack and puts it in a blind guy's eyes, says, go wash your eyes out and you'll see. Sometimes a mute and and deaf person comes and he sticks his finger in their ears and spits and rubs it on their tongue and everything's figured out. Sometimes he shows up to a funeral and says, I know he's been dead for three, four days. Roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes hobbling out in his grave's clothes. You never know how Jesus is going to heal. But on this moment in this day, Jesus wasn't going to do something very demonstrative. Healing doesn't always have to look like a big wow, a big splash in the deep end. If Jesus is healing, he gets to do it how he wants to do it. And so to this man, Jesus does something very simple. He just says, go, your son will live. You know what it says about this man? He trusted Jesus' word and went home. Actually, it seems like he delayed 
his coming. Because when he finally gets home, they say, hey, yesterday at this time your son was whole. It's like, yesterday? Like, you should have been home. Like, as soon as Jesus said the word go, you should have been gone. But he so trusted in what Jesus had said, go, your son will live, that it seems like he took his time. He was anxious when he showed up, but he heard the word of the Lord. I've got your son. Your son will live. He said, all right, let's go home. But let's stop, stop by the grocery store first and maybe let's get something to eat. And we might even stay a, a couple hours to get some shut-eye in a hotel. Because, because Jesus took the anxiety out of him. And so, so he's on his way home back to Capernaum, this nobleman, and his servants arrive before he even gets home and says, hey, listen, yesterday at this time your son was made whole. And he goes, wait a second, what time did you say that the miracle took place? And at this time, he goes, it was at that exact moment that Jesus said, go, your son lives. So he's investigating the miracle, saying, huh, let's, let, let's add it up. Because, you know, sometimes when people say something miraculous happened, I'm like, well, is there a doctor's report? Um, is there a way to verify this? I mean, I'm not trying to be dubious or whatever, but, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that I just go, if someone's in a wheelchair and they haven't walked and they get up and walk, there it is. And so this man is sort of verifying. He's saying, okay, um, at what time did this happen? And then he puts, he puts it all together, does the math, and goes, yes, it was exactly that moment. Jesus said, go, your son will live. Go home. And this story accomplishes a few very important things. First thing it accomplishes, for the Galileans, it was a rebuke against their desire for seeking signs and wonders. Does God do signs and wonders? Yes. Should we be seeking them? No. You seek Jesus to love Jesus and let Jesus be Jesus. God is God. If he wants to do something wild and crazy and outside of the normal, which is everything that's supernatural is outside of the natural, then, then God will be God, but we're not seeking that. We're just saying, God, we love you and we're asking you to move. But we're not, we're, we're not asking for anything crazy. So, so it was a rebuke against the Galileans. Secondly, uh, this man, this nobleman, had learned to trust Jesus. What a lesson that is. For those of us who are dealing with areas in our life which we have repeatedly sought God over and we're not seeing answers, to just trust Jesus. My wife was asking me, you know, how do we, how do we relate this story from a man who was literally in the presence of Jesus to a people 2,000 years removed where Jesus isn't somewhere in Cary where we can go meet him and say, hey, Jesus, could you do something for me and actually interact with the, the man Jesus? And uh, so we began to talk a little bit about what does it look like for us to actually encounter Jesus and hear God say something. I, there, there's, there's a whole sermon to this that I'm not gonna preach right now because I gotta stay at this one. Um, uh, but, but when God speaks, sometimes he speaks into your inner being. I was telling somebody a, a, a few uh, a year ago or so, I was dealing with anxiety. I, I, I'm not prone to anxiety, so it was very odd for me. And it was one Sunday morning, I was just, all the chemicals that make you anxious were just going crazy in my body. And I was supposed to preach and my head was not, not where it should have been. And I was just full of anxiety. And I was like, God, just help me. And I just felt the Lord put his hand on my chest. Like I, there wasn't literally a hand on my chest. But it was this fatherly moment where like, like I'm having this sensation of God just fathering me like a dad would do their son who's freaking out before they go up to bat or something. And, and he just said, I've got this. That's all I heard. I, but I didn't hear it. Like there wasn't a voice. It was like, but I heard it. 
And I wasn't making it up. No one else heard it. But it was in my spirit. I just felt like the Lord saying, I got this. And I'm telling you, all the anxiety just went. And it worked. There are times, though, when God speaks audibly. I haven't particularly experienced that. But some of my children have talked about hearing the audible voice of God in their sleep. Waking up to hear their name called. But I think predominantly, we hear God speak today without the person of Jesus through his people. You and I are the body of Christ. If I'm going to hear a word from God, I'm expecting it primarily is going to come from somewhere in this room. Someone in this room may just have a word for me. Someone in this room may have a word for you. And I trust prophecy and words of knowledge and words of wisdom, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This man, nobleman, the result of this encounter was he had learned to trust Jesus with his life and his son's life. And then thirdly, obviously, the boy was healed. That kid was going to die. And I'm reading this and looking at little Lena last night and thinking, would you, could you, God, please do something like this? Heal this baby girl, heal this baby boy. It was a great story, but we look to our own times and, and ask the question, and how would Jesus and the Scriptures have us think about healing signs and wonders in our own day? And the most glaring part of the healing discussion is why doesn't God heal everyone? My wife and I have dealt with, um, from extended family, um, people in our lives that we loved and cared about that were not healed. Three of our grandparents died of cancer. All of my grandparents are dead. All of our grandparents are dead. Um, We had one of our grandmas die with Alzheimer's. I had a a younger cousin, several years younger than me, die of cancer. An aunt died of brain cancer. We've seen cancer take our family. My grandpa died at 60 years old of a heart attack in his sleep. Um, But being a pastor, I've also been at a lot of hospital beds and done a lot of funerals. By far the most traumatic are when it's babies and kids. Because it just, it makes sense when old people die. Sorry, old people, but, you know, you've lived your life, you know. You got your shot. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want to be that old. I don't want to live that long. So, I mean, old people die, you know. We die when we're old. But, but when you do a funeral for a kid, it just, it rocks something at your, your core. It's so hard to understand. Um, sat with many people that were terminally ill and just wondered, Lord, Are you going to break in on this situation? Have seen over the several years now, almost 20 years now that I've been a pastor, um, a handful of people experienced dramatic bodily healing. But it wasn't every day. And and sometimes I wonder why we didn't see more. Um, And these are the questions that plague us, is why doesn't God heal everybody? But I have some thoughts I just want to relate to until we talk about the hope-filled part of miracle signs and wonders from John chapter 4. Um, but it's some perspectives on why God doesn't heal everyone. The first one is um, no one makes it out of this alive. Like, do you know that? Statistics on death, 10 out of 10 people die. So if you don't die of this thing, you'll get healed from this, but you're going to die of something else. When God raised Lazarus, that was a great sign and a wonder, but Lazarus would die again. Everybody here, look around, will die. 
unless the man on the white horse returns, Revelation 19, before you die, somehow a truck hits you, your heart stops, you get a disease, you just don't wake up one morning, your brain explodes, I don't know what happens to you. Something's going to happen because you were not intended to live like this forever and ever and ever. So it's hardest when, when, when death or disease comes and it's painful and it's untimely. We don't question God as much when our 95-year-old grandma dies. Billy Graham lived a long time. We expected him to finally go. He wanted to go. He couldn't see, barely could hear, couldn't do much. That's the time when you finished your race. We're all going to face that. Whether we get to live a long life or we, give, we, we die tomorrow, uh, no one makes it out of this alive. So as it concerns suffering, suffering is for the here and now. We all die. Number two, death isn't the worst thing that happens to a follower of Jesus. How many can say amen to that? Come on, like, let's get a perspective on death. We just celebrated Easter. Death has no more sting, right? The sting of death was taken out by Jesus. So, therefore, death is its own kind of glory because it isn't final. Uh, C.S. Lewis was, he has a, actually a, a work put together of letters that he wrote to, to many of the people that interacted with him that were blessed by his writings. And he has one letter that he was writing to a Mary Willis Shelbourne um, concerning her fear of dying. She was laying in a hospital bed, thought that she was going to die there. She seemed to be terminally ill. And Lewis writes her this letter. The ironic thing about this letter is that this woman went on to live 12 more years after this, and C.S. Lewis died five months later of kidney failure. So listen to what he writes to this woman about death. I think it's very interesting. And it should put us back to center when we are grieving and or angry with God over why he doesn't always heal. He, he writes this, Can you not see death as the friend and deliverer? Has this world been so kind to you that you should leave it with regret? There are far better things ahead than any we leave behind. I mean, do you believe that stuff? I do. I, got, I mean, I don't think you should hold on to life. Live it until you're done. Finish your race. But then realize that this is not the end. Help people that are stuck in the permanence of what is not permanent, laying all of their hopes and dreams here. My hopes and dreams do not die when life ends. They only really begin. Amen? Amen. Number three, perspectives on when God doesn't heal everybody. Every follower of Jesus is going to be ultimately healed in the resurrection of the body. A renewed, resurrected heavens and earth we will experience full bodily healing. Paul said, to live is Christ and fill in the blank and to die is gain. Death is the worst for those left behind. I'm not sad for the dead, sad for the living, but we're all going to be rejoined one day. Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, we are confident and I say would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Some Christians aren't living like they would prefer to be away from the body. I'm not saying be reckless and don't eat well and, and steward your body because there's a body stewardship issue, a life stewardship issue. But at the end, to live is Christ, to die is a win. It's gain. We all desire, should desire, and prefer to be away from the body 
to be present with the Lord. And then finally, and this is a question, is being free from all suffering better than enduring a certain amount of pain? I know in Western Christianity, in comfortable America, that we think suffering is the ultimate evil. But uh, you need to read some biographies and read some of the great men and women who lived before us and talk to me about which one of them were great that did not suffer. There are things that God accomplishes in suffering. I'm not saying God causes the suffering. I don't believe that. There's all kinds of reasons for evil. And I don't blame God for evil. I believe the demons have a huge responsibility for evil. I believe we're in a war. I, I think we live in a fallen, broken world that people, evil people make evil choices. But at, at the, the baseline of it, there is also good that comes from our suffering. Suffering isn't all bad. Some of the greatest virtues that we'll glean from life, some of the greatest humility and, and sense of God and closeness with God, God begins to strip us in suffering. C.S. Lewis said it is God's megaphone. Suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He whispers to us in our pleasures. He shouts to us in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a world that isn't listening to him. I don't know if you've experienced that or seen that in somebody, met someone who you didn't really like that much because they were a jerk. And then they went through suffering and then you liked them a little bit more. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, suffering does change us, even if it's just a little bit. I had a friend who went through a great financial crisis in his business and I had to file bankruptcy. And he told me, he goes, Brian, um, I, I'm not telling you the bankruptcy was great. I, I probably should have made better decisions. Um, God let it happen. But I'll tell you the outcome is my wife likes me just a little bit more. <laughs> just a little bit more. I've improved a bit. I'm not as proud as I used to be. So that's on the perspective, though, of this, what happens when God doesn't heal us? Because, you know, God doesn't heal everybody. We're all going to die of something. But I want to finish with this. And I, this is where I'm really praying and have been asking a few of you to pray that God would really infuse this time at, at church to really do something powerful. But I want to talk about when the kingdom of God does break in and miracles and signs and wonders do happen and we begin to, little, to live a little bit of heaven on earth. How many believe that that's also part of the story of those who are following Jesus? A few of you said amen. A few of you said, I don't know where your theology is going right now, Brian. Well, sit back and relax because um, the Bible, I believe, teaches us that we are living in this tension between the already and not yet. When Jesus arrived, he inaugurated the kingdom. In Luke chapter 4, I believe, he stood there on, at, at the synagogue and he opened up to the place in Isaiah where it read the signs of Messiah. And he said, I am going to do all these, healing the brokenhearted, releasing prisoners, cleansing the lepers, healing those who are lame. And he began to read through this and he closed it. And they knew that at that moment, the kingdom of God had been inaugurated. Messiah's here. Something in the air is different. The winds of change are blowing. And so therefore, from the time that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, the kingdom is breaking into the earth. Not fully realized, but breaking in. There are pinholes of light. And sometimes when God moves in miracle signs and wonders, he's just saying, remember, I am the king in my kingdom and I will come. I haven't come in fullness yet, but I have arrived and I will be arriving. We, we live between the two comings of Christ. 
He came the first time to inaugurate his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's why he taught us to pray that way. So when we're praying for miracles, signs, and wonders, for God to overcome the devil, uh, bodily illness, mental illness, uh, all the destructive forces of nature that come against us, we are saying, God, let your kingdom come here on the earth as it is in heaven. And I believe that every time you see a sign and a wonder and a miracle, it is for the glory of God to remind us whose world this is after all. That although Satan has taken the title deed, he's gonna win the day because his kingdom has already begun. We are not waiting for the kingdom of God. We are experiencing it now. We are to be experiencing it now. Not in its fullness. That's heresy. Everything is not as it should be right now, but we believe that through stepping in to to believing that the God of, of miracles can do something in our lives today, can overcome Lee's disease, is bigger than cancer, can do miracle signs and wonders, can overcome mental illness and all the ailments that we face. We are saying, God of heaven and earth, break into this reality and do only what you can. I've been reading a very, very good book that I would recommend to all of you on miracles. It's simply called Miracles. Clever title, written by Eric Metaxas. If you read any of his work, he wrote Bonhoeffer. Uh, he, wrote, he wrote the biography of William Wilberforce, uh, Seven Great Men, several great works he's written. He's not sensational. So his book is 50% logical, thoughtful, rational about miracles. Very, very compelling. And he quotes G.K. Chesterton, so I like it for that as well. Um, the latter half of the book is stories. And he said, I would not tell one of these stories had, had I not investigated them. He's, I've heard many stories. The stories that are in that book are stories that he personally looked into as a historian and responsible author who's not going to write anything that he couldn't verify. Very, very, very good book. The other book I'd recommend that's very well-written um, from a, a man who was very influential in the church by John Wimber. Many of you uh, followed his ministry for a lot of years. Um, there's kind of a resurgence back to some of the way that John Wimber taught because John Wimber was, uh, though he did many miraculous things in the name of God, he also had his feet planted in the scriptures and in, on the ground. So he wasn't about the fancy show, no showing off. He wrote a book called Power Healing that I'm reading right now. Also very excellent read. But Metaxas wrote this about the signs and wonders. Notice, it, look back at John chapter 4 for just a second. John ends this by saying what? This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So his first sign was back at Cana of Galilee when he turned water to wine. Remember that? That's when we started having wine at communion. That was an important day for us. Um, the second sign Jesus does is the healing here. Now Metaxas writes this in his book, Miracles. The Greek word for miracle is sameos, which means sign. Remember what John just said. This is the second sign. So miracles and signs, same word in the Greek. The Greek word for miracles is sameos, which means sign. Miracles are signs, and, and this is great, and like all signs, they are never about themselves. They're about whatever they are pointing toward. Miracles point to something beyond themselves. But to what? To God himself. That's the point of miracles. To point us beyond our world to another world. There are clues that the other world is not in our imaginations, but is actually out there. Don't you love that? 
The thought that the kingdom, sometimes God does something here just to remind you that the reality that you're about to inherit is out there and pinholes of light are coming here. Just to say, I'm here, I am inaugurated, I am the king of the universe, and I'm doing good. And as important as it is for us to answer the question and wrestle with the question of what happens when the Lord doesn't heal, is also the importance to prepare ourselves to expect days of heaven on the earth. To prepare ourselves to expect the kingdom of God breaking into the here and now. Brothers and sisters, healing requires faith. Trusting God to be God over all things that are out of our control. And when we talk about healing, we talk about healing in the whole person. That, this word shalom, the Jews use it a lot. You ever been, if you've ever been to Israel, you know, that's a, the common greeting in Israel. Shalom, shalom, shalom. When, if I say, Zach, to you and Kendra, shalom, that's the best blessing I could say to Zach Duncan and his family. I'm saying, Zach, may you be well in your body and in your mind and in your marriage and in your sexuality and in the raising of your kids and in your finances and at your job and in everything, Zach, it means for you to be alive. May God's shalom be on you. May you do well in spirit and body and soul. May you thrive, brother. When we talk about healing, we're talking about shalom. Anything that is out of shalom and that is when your body is out of shalom. When your spirit is out of shalom. When your soul is out of shalom. There are so many mental diseases, things that make us uneasy, that we have found medical science in the last 50 years has confirmed that there are so many links between the way your soul is doing and the way that your body does. There are certain cancers that, that have been linked back to anxiety and unforgiveness and bitterness. There are so many ailments that are linked to these diseases of the soul and the spirit. That's why Christian forgiveness is so important. That you allow God to forgive you, lest that unforgiveness or not receiving forgiveness so grow inside of you that you become physically unhealthy. But it's also important that you do not let bitterness take a root in your soul. That you learn to forgive everybody who's ever wronged you. That you not be full of anxiety. That, that all the diseases, that all the lonelinesses and the depressions and the despairs, that somehow it, medical science is proving that when you are better in your mind and your spirit, you're actually better in your body. Statistically, it's been proven that people who worship God regularly are 50% healthier than the rest of the world. That's not a surprise to me. Because when I worship God, I'm giving Him all my stuff and all me, and I'm receiving Him, and we are interacting with each other, and my mind and my spirit and my soul get set in rights again, and it affects my health. When I'm in sin, when I'm not forgiving, when I'm full of anxiety, when I'm in despair and hopelessness, I, that does not help my health. Now, in Psalm chapter 32, David actually writes about a time when he was living with unconfessed sin and the effect that that unconfessed sin actually had on his body. Psalm 32, verses 2 through 5, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. He said, 
When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You notice David says, while I was living with unconfessed sin, I was not physically well. And then when I confessed my sin to the Lord, I'm well again. Because you forgave me. You relieved me. There are instances where disease and sickness is linked to a need for inner healing. And, and I do believe when James chapter 5 talks about the elders anointing people with oil to heal the sick, he links that with the confession of sin. I don't know if you recall that in James chapter 5, um, but you can look that up. When he, when, he, when he calls the church, if any of you are sick, if there are any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. The elders don't come to you, you come to us. You see, elders, I'm sick. I need you to anoint me with oil. That is your act of faith. You're sick, call for the elders of the church. They will anoint you with oil and the prayer of faith will save the sick. And if they have any sins and they confess them, they will be forgiven. So James links spiritual centeredness, inner wholeness, rightness in the spirit and with other people to the way you, you are in your physical body. Now, I'm not saying everybody who's sick here is, doing, is sick because they've done something wrong or because they have someone they haven't forgiven. That, that, that isn't true because there are times in like the Gospels in John 9, Jesus is going to heal the blind man and the disciples are all, who sinned, this man or his parents? He said, neither. So the glory of God might be seen. And then he heals the man's blindness. But I, but I would say that, that I do believe that the Bible teaches that there is a link between body and soul and when soul and body are not healthy, that they affect each other. We're an integrated being. And um, I'm believing for you today, for us today, that the kingdom of God wants to break in in such a way that you will be well in everything it means to be human. I don't think there are some things that we should just be okay with and just say, oh, this is just the lot. I guess I'm just a depressed person or I guess I'm just never gonna have a good relationship with these people or I guess um, I'm just not gonna have the kind of shalom that God wants me to. I say, oh, no, 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 we, we don't believe that. We, we say, oh, God, may the days of heaven come to the earth. May you do what only you can. May you heal us. And so I'm believing for miracles today. Anybody else? I don't, I mean, I don't believe it has to happen at church. It can happen in your living room. It could happen when you walk out here. It could happen Tuesday morning as we go to prayer at Ron Ludholtz's house. God could heal you there. It could happen anywhere. But I also think there are times when Jesus says, you guys are all here together. Put your faith together and expect something great from God. Did Jesus ever do miracles in front of everybody? You bet he did. He was in synagogue one time. There was a man with a withered hand because of his crippledness and he wasn't allowed to be up where everybody else was so he had to be in the back. So he called a guy from the back there, somebody from the back, and said, you, you, come here in front of everybody. And he said, stretch out your hand. And the guy's withered hand, he's born that way, he's deformed. And Jesus said, stretch out your hand. The man does it. The glory of God is seen. There are times when we come together when, when we just put our faith together and we say, hey, listen, I believe that God wants to do something here today. 
We're not here by accident or by coincidence. So I'm, I'm saying let us lean in as a community and believe God today as we have gathered that God wants to do something more than just another church service where you listen to me go on and on. You take communion and get out. Here's what I'm going to ask us to believe together. Number one, if you have a physical issue, we want to pray with you and anoint you with oil. We want you to call for the elders, and here's how we're going to do this. We're going to just ask you to come up front. We're going to sing a song after I'm done here, and we're just going to ask you, if you need physical healing, I want you to just come up front. And we are going to anoint you with oil, and we are going to believe that that, is, that kind of faith is the kind of faith that James 5 tells us to have. You're sick, call for the elders. We're here, we've got oil, we're going to pray over you, and we want to believe together for your healing today. Number two, if you have unconfessed sin and brokenness and trouble in your soul and spirit, we want to begin the journey of inner healing with you. After this time of praying for physical illness, we, we have men and women who are going to be on the prayer wall over here on this wall. We call it the prayer wall because it's where we pray. Um, there's nothing fancy about the wall, um, but it's the prayer wall. Um, we're going to invite you over. And if you're saying, you know, listen, like there are some deep-rooted issues we believe in emotional health. We believe your emotional health and your spiritual health and, and your physical health are all linked. We want to pray over you. We want to dive deep with you and really believe for miracles for you. We, we thank God for our brother Zach who's experienced deliverance from depression that was crippling his life. It's happening here at this church, y'all. It's happening here. We're not talking about a fairy tale that may happen someday or did happen one day 2,000 years ago. It, it's happening here in increments. When we started Emmaus, there were a couple people at Emmaus that had a dream. Now, dreams and visions, I hold them in the open hand because in, unless you see something happen with those things, um, but the Bible says do not despise prophecy. So we don't despise it, but I don't take it as the written word of God. But I have to listen to stuff sometimes. And there was a couple people that had, I think, a similar dream. And Jen and Evan were reminding me of it. Um, and it's essentially, it was essentially this they, they saw a picture of Emmaus, whoever was represented there, in a beach in a glass house. On a beach in a glass house. They, they, they could see, and it was a glass house, and a big wave was coming. And the wave indicated like God's moving. And we were all in the glass house, and we couldn't feel any of the effects of the wave. Until this little girl came up and opened the door and let the water in. And, you know, as we were standing at Jen and Evan's house, they were like, if God would heal our daughter, she could open the door for the Holy Spirit at Emmaus. What, what, what a beautiful thing to think a little child might lead us. We want to pray for that and believe God that as we're seeing, he, can, he wants to continue to do those things with us. And if you are here with someone in your life that's dear to you, who is still dealing with severe physical ailments, as we have prayed for the Emersons, like the nobleman who said, this prayer is not for me, this is for my son. We want to pray with you and believe with you today. And also, I would just conclude by saying this. Um, there may be some people here this morning that are being harassed by the devil and demons. And we want to do warfare with you today. We did a whole series on spiritual warfare. We are, we are a people that believe in the victory that Christ has brought through the cross and the resurrection. But we also believe we're in a dogfight here, y'all. The enemy has not been fully bound yet. Ephesians chapter 6 says we're wrestling with not flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. And so that, that said, what we want to do, we're gonna, the band's going to come up. You guys can come up right now. Um, and I want you to just prepare your heart because I'm going to ask you to do something a bit brave. 
We've done this before, so it's not the biggest thing in the world. But, but if you're someone and you're in a place in your life where I need physical healing, Brian, and, and the elders are going to be here to anoint you with oil, I would ask you while we sing the song just to come down front. And, and we're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to try to knock you over. We don't do that here. Um, we're not, we're not going to crawl around like snakes or I'm not going to speak in tongues. Um, we're not doing that. But we're just simply saying, James 5 says, you're sick. The elders are here. We're going to anoint you with oil and believe that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. So while we sing this song, let's all stand together. We're going to pray to the God of miracles that he would heal people and that people today would have faith in their hearts to say, I believe God wants to heal me. And I, I'm, not, I'm not going to not respond to this time. I need to exhibit some faith. It's going to take faith. You might have just a little faith, but come on down here. We would love to put hands on you, anoint you with oil, and just pray for God to overcome the sickness in your body. So as we sing this song, we're just going to invite you to come up. Father, right now, I pray for your work to begin to happen in our hearts. I know it's going to begin inside of us, that we would be able to trust you, that we would be able to rely on you. And, and Father, we know there's nothing magical about our elders or about this anointing with oil but it is something you have asked us to do to publicly demonstrate. Father, we believe in you. You're a God who can do miracles. You're a God who wants to show up on earth as it is in heaven. And we are believing and praying that you would do that today. So we ask now in Jesus' name that right now you would begin just to move in people's hearts, move in our lives in such a way that faith would be stirred up that we would begin to have exceptional faith to just believe God may want to lay his hands and heal me today. And so we're just going to ask you right now as we sing this song to come on up. And then after the song is over, we're just going to begin to pray and, and, and lay, lay hands and anoint with oil in Jesus' name.